0: Hi, we're the misery machine i'm gary and i'm drewby and this week we're doing probably maine's most famous missing persons case absolutely it's the kim moreau case
1: so we're here today in the holy cross cemetery in livermore falls maine and this is a case that's really close to home for me i have a lot of friends that are you know even as close as family that have grown up in the area i'm very familiar with the area and it is definitely one that has impacted the community continues to do so And Kim's father definitely needs some closure. Her whole family does for her disappearance. So we hope that what we're doing here can kind of signal boost that. And hopefully one day, you know, they'll be able to bring her home and and bury her.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate all the help we've gotten so far. But without further ado,
1: the Kimberly Moreau case.
0: The town of Jay is nestled in a valley formed by the Androscoggin River in southern Franklin County, which led the area to become a hotbed of industry during the Industrial Revolution. The Androscoggin River provided power for a multitude of mills and factories, and while industry remains a strong part of Jay's past, the town retains a rural feel. With a population of just under 5,000, Jay has kept the small-town characteristics that make it an ideal place to live and raise a family.
1: Jay is bordered by the towns of Livermore, Livermore Falls, Canton, Chesterville, and Wilton, and includes a small neighborhood known as Chisholm, named after the industrialist that built one of the very first mills in the region that it's known for. Upon driving into the region, it is hard to miss the posters fastened to utility poles every mile or so down the road, with their fluorescent-colored tape and -and black-and-white photo of a young woman smiling happily. That woman was 17-year-old Kimberly Morrow, who has been missing without a trace for the last 34 years.
0: Kim was described as a beautiful young woman, standing 5 foot 7 inches tall and approximately 135 pounds. She had blonde hair and blue eyes, and had multiple piercings in both of her ears. Kim had competed in local beauty pageants and was interested in pursuing a career in modeling, and had already taken steps to work with a firm out of Boston. Her only identifying mark was a surgical scar located on her back. On the day of her disappearance, Kim was wearing a white blouse, jeans, white high-top sneakers, and a men's class ring that was engraved with Mike 87 and Mike Staples, Mike Staples being her boyfriend at the time.
1: Kim didn't care much for school, like many teenagers, and only wanted to be there for the social aspects of it. She enjoyed cheering and dance and enjoyed writing poetry. She had been described as prim and proper, and like many teenage girls, cared very much about her appearance. She would make sure her hair and makeup was done perfectly and would routinely change her outfits multiple times a day. That was definitely me as well as a teenage girl.
0: (laughs) May 10th, 1986 was the day of Kim's junior prom. After getting into an argument with her boyfriend, Mike Staples she had caught him with a good friend of hers. Kim decided to skip the prom and headed into downtown Livermore Falls into the park with her friend Rhonda Breton, which would have been a 10-minute walk from her home. It was there that Kim and Rhonda met Brian Enman and Breton's boyfriend Darren Jodry, who were both 25-year-old men. According to the reports, the group allegedly spent the day driving around in Jodry's late model white Pontiac Trans Am, Although the details of what occurred that day are not clear, and there have been many conflicting accounts and rumors.
1: We'll get to a lot of that later on in the podcast.
0: Yes, we will.
1: At around 11 p.m., Kim stopped in at her Jewel Street home to use the bathroom and told her older sister Karen that she'd be back in about an hour or so. She left without a jacket, and it is to note here that it was about 38 degrees that night. She left without her purse, her makeup, which was something that was very important to her, or anything else that would make one assume that she wouldn't be home in short order. Kim's parents were working just across the street at the JVFW, where her father Richard was a chairperson and her mother Patricia was working behind the bar. On this particular evening, the JVFW was hosting a large supper and dance, and Kim's parents didn't return home until about 2 a.m., Kim's sister Karen has noted that there wasn't anything out of the ordinary about Kim's demeanor that would have led her to believe that she was in any sort of trouble. She did not appear to be in any distress. She didn't appear to be under the influence or signaling that she was in need of any help. Unfortunately, this would be the last time any of Kim's family would see her.
0: So when Richard and Patricia arrived home at 2 a.m. from the VFW and Kim wasn't home, they knew something was wrong as this was not in her nature at all to stay out this late without some sort of notice. They put on a pot of coffee and stayed up and waited for her to return. When she didn't return home at 5 a.m., they knew something was definitely wrong. So they paid a visit to the J Police Department to file a missing persons report. Unfortunately, the J Police Department informed Richard and Patricia that they could not file a missing persons report for 48 hours. In the face of that, they spent the next two days reaching out to Kim's friends, trying to see if anyone knew where she was or what happened to her. At the 48-hour mark on the dot, Richard and Patricia returned to the J Police Department to report Kim missing yet again, where they were hassled. The police claimed that it hadn't been 48 hours, so Richard forced the police to take their report thinking that the wheels were in motion at this point, but unfortunately they weren't. Kim's case was lost in the shuffle, and it took the police department four months to report her as a missing and endangered person. Until that period of time, Kimberly Moreau was treated as a runaway teenager, which didn't make any sense to her friends and family, as Kim had left her home without any of her belongings, money, or her car,
1: The Jay Police Department officially stated Kim was a runaway. They also said she had a runaway previously, which was not true according to her family. According to Kim's father, Richard, he and Patricia trusted their children, even allowing Kim to stay in Farmington for the summer while she worked at McDonald's. The family spent $600 to $1,000 a month in phone bills with all the calls that they were making trying to find Kim and spent countless hours working independently on her case, oftentimes during their work days.
0: So one thing you may forget, and I forgot about this until I heard them talk about this, back in that period of time, you couldn't just call any town you wanted to for free. You'd get long-distance charges, sometimes even calling a neighboring town. Doing this legwork was very expensive to make all these phone calls.
1: Right, and a lot of this area, even going maybe oh, I don't know, like a 15-minute drive out of the way, you were crossing county lines.
0: Because Jay and Livermore are in different counties. Or in different counties.
1: Livermore is in Androscoggin County, whereas Jay literally walking distance from their home on Jewel Street was in a different county.
0: It should also be noted that on top of this, they were treating Kim's mother, Patricia, for cancer. I can only imagine that this was a very big financial burden for them with what little help they were getting at the time. And further, unfortunately, in 1988, two years after Kim went missing, her mother Patricia passed away from the cancer. Later, Kim was declared legally dead in 1993.
1: And Patricia is buried at the Holy Cross Cemetery in Livermore Falls. Mm -hmm. Right next to her grave, there is a grave for Kim for when they're able to bring her remains home.
0: Kim's family made numerous appeals to Maine's governor and other state officials for the state police to take over. In order for the state police to take over, the town of Jay had to release the case to the state police. According to the family, Erlen Farrington, who was the chief of Jay police at this time, was allegedly refusing to release it to the state police until there was enough pressure from the state. It is theorized that this is because there was a party with underage drinking at his home which was thrown by his son, Eric Farrington. This happened the night Kim went missing, and Kim and Rhonda were observed in attendance. And from what I read, three people have verified that Kim and Rhonda Breton were at this party on that night.
1: Yes, we're going to be getting into more detail with our cast of characters here. That's going to give a little bit more details and theories into the case.
0: So I've listened to a few interviews with the family, and they're very generous with their time, which is why we didn't reach out to them.
1: I just don't feel that we have any other questions that haven't already been answered and I know and they've been through enough
0: again they're very generous with their time I don't want to take any more of their time unless we had something very pertinent to ask but I felt like things were very much covered right now if the family is listening and want us to make a correction or want us to add something I have no problem doing an addendum in the show notes and the video description and I have no problem doing an updated video so Having listened to a few of these interviews, I found out that two FBI agents offered their services to the family, but the state of Maine allegedly had blocked them from doing so. According to the family, the production company that produced Northwood's Law wanted to come in and do a series on missing people in Maine, and that included Kim's case. The family alleges that they were shut down and have said that the company was threatened with legal action if they went through the series. The family claims this was due to the then Maine Attorney General Janet Mills, who is now the governor of Maine. The then chief of the criminal division and former Augusta mayor, William Bill Stokes, allegedly had told the family they had a good idea where Kim's body was and were going to perform a search. But from what they said, this never came to fruition.
1: So there's a lot of different theories going on with Governor Mills. A lot of it is alleged. I can tell you that— There's
0: there's no proof of any of this. There's
1: no proof of any of this, but there has been a lot of theories thrown out online as to why that she has blocked this.
0: And you can see a lot of them. There's a Facebook group, if you're on Facebook— It is called Kimberly Moreau Missing from J-Maine. There's roughly 3,200 members of this group. Any new developments and updates in the case are put in here. So if you want to keep up on this case, I would strongly suggest going and joining there.
1: This is where you're going to find a lot of the theories as well. And some of the theories that have been posed about our now governor tie into her connection to the area she is from the Farmington-Wilton area originally and allege her ties to Calvin Tidswell, who is a reoccurring person in this case.
0: Which we'll get into in a little Which we will definitely bit. get
1: into. And the fact that she allegedly had or has a substance abuse problem. Allegedly.
0: Allegedly. We have no proof of this, but this is what a lot of people throw out there. So I feel like it bears mentioning. So there was also another theory that I just...
1: I find it a little bit far-fetched, but it's definitely something that was thrown around, so I it, think it's it, worth mentioning. It's been
0: brought up a few times, so I, we'll just mention it. Whether we feel strongly about this or not, we're just looking to provide you with as many theories and details that are currently going around, because there's a lot of them being thrown around. And we're around.
1: not even going to be able to cover everything. There's so many.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So... so,
1: Lewis Lent, who was a serial killer, picked up for murders in Massachusetts and New Hampshire was theorized to be involved in Kim's case. He had claimed that he had assaulted a child in Maine, did not specify age, around the time that Kim had went missing. However, there was also another young woman named Michelle Jacatus, I don't know if I said her name right, but that, I think that's probably the closest pronunciation, who was also a Massachusetts native, who went missing in the same time, or around the same time, rather, in the Dixfield area at a New Year's Eve party.
0: I believe the last date she was seen was December 31st of 1986.
1: Yes. So Dixfield, just if you're not from the area, is not really too far from the Jay Livermore area. You would go through Canton... And there's actually a number of ways you can do it, but it is more towards Rumford, which is another mill town.
0: I must mention, as far as Michelle Jekaitis is concerned, is that if you try to look her up, there's almost nothing on her, which I find very sad. That is a case that I would love to signal boost. It seems like no one is signal boosting her, and I think the reason for that is is there's almost no information on the case.
1: It really feels, though, if you look into missing persons cases in Maine, there are a lot in western Maine. There are definitely a lot in this area, so it really makes one wonder.
0: And a lot tend to be just cold-cased and forgotten about. The family deserves a lot of credit for never giving up and for putting in as much work as they have.
1: So we talked with one of our patrons, Marky, a little bit about this. Marky grew up in Canton and this is the same town where two of our suspects, Darren Jodry and Brian Enman are from. Brian Enman actually still lives there. And this is what he had to say.
0: He said the whole deal with the case is that it's such a small area. You couldn't skip school without everyone knowing about it. We all knew everyone. We all knew each other's dramas. I'm shocked no one has come out and told what has happened. In his opinion, 100% more than the perpetrators knew what had happened. And... Having grown up around small town areas myself, I found this quite surprising, too, that word didn't get out eventually, especially with how many people saw Kim before she disappeared. There's been countless searches that have been conducted through the area. And
1: countless tips as well, many that have been provided by psychics. The family I know speaks to psychics quite a bit.
0: A representative for the state police said that out of all their missing persons cases in Maine, they get the most tips. Kimberly Morrow which equate to I believe they said roughly five to ten every six months I think it was which is pretty crazy for a case that it's been 34 years now
1: I just want to kind of highlight a couple of the searches that have been more recent
0: last year there was a right. search done this is still being worked on it is an open and active case the family are still working with a detective
1: So in 2015, Brian Enman's property was searched in connection with Kim's disappearance. But unfortunately, the police did come up empty-handed. Although nothing was found, allegedly dogs kept having hits for human remains. And I do know they went in there, I believe, with the University of Maine and used some of the ground-penetrating radar devices Mm -hmm. to try to get underneath the pad of his trailer. That was one place that they were looking. The theory with that one, I always found a little bit odd. I'm glad that they went ahead and searched that. But he didn't own this property, I believe, until the year 2000. So if she were to have been buried, he would have had to move her. Right. It's unfortunate they didn't find anything. But the fact that they are getting hits from the cadaver dogs is definitely suspect.
0: Well, one thing that should be mentioned about the cadaver dogs is you can get a hit on the property and it doesn't necessarily mean that the remains are on the property. It could mean that the remains are a mile or two away and water has since washed down onto that property over the years. Dogs will still get hits off that if there's moving water or anything like that. At least that's how it was explained to me.
1: So the more recent search, and this is the one I was holding out hope for. I was watching the news every single day for an update for this. This was just last year in 2019. So a search was conducted in the driveway of a farmhouse on Route 4 in Livermore that is alleged to be previously owned by Calvin Tidswell's family. And we'll get, again, into who Calvin is in a little bit. According to Richard, a concrete slab was poured the morning after Kim went missing in order to build a farm stand, and it was rumored that's where Kim's remains had been for the last 30-plus years. Unfortunately, after tearing up the concrete slab and surveying the site with ground-penetrating radar, police found no sign of Kim.
0: We didn't take a picture of this because somebody else owns the property now, but we can show you a picture of what it was before it was torn up
1: we can definitely do that there's actually a lot of pictures online in the process of the demolition with the police there that we can share on youtube
0: absolutely so felt it easier to give you the rundown i I know we mentioned some people and you're wondering well who are they exactly i think it's best to go through them one by one and explain some of the things that were going on with some them, of the, some of the
1: theories attached to them.
0: Yeah, because if we didn't do it like this, it would kind of be convoluted and all over the place. Yeah, so. this
1: probably was the best way to organize it.
0: So, start with Rhonda Breton. Rhonda Breton was a friend of Kim's that had just started hanging out with her months before her disappearance. Okay, so they were only close friends for a few months. Rhonda was described as controlling. When it came to Kim, she wanted to know where Kim was at all times and only wanted Kim to herself. So once Kim started hanging around with Rhonda, she started distancing herself from her other friends that she had kept. Rhonda had allegedly been dropped off at home, leaving Kim alone in the car with Brian Enman, even though it wasn't Brian's car. Over the years, Rhonda's story has changed multiple times regarding the events of May 10th and 11th, 1986. Allegedly, Rhonda said Kim was driven to Old Orchard Beach and was dropped off there. So
1: that is extremely unlikely. That's
0: very far, okay. And this is in the '80s. It would be, especially growing up in a small town. Around that time, Ruby and
1: I routinely go to Old Orchard. We go to a neighboring beach near there, but it's even a hike for us and we're 45 minutes south of Jay Livermore.
0: About 40, 30 yeah. uh, 35 40 depending, depending on, on how you
1: know, fast I'm driving.
0: Yeah, so think about the length of that driving there at night. You didn't have the internet How unlikely would it have been to have contacts there? Very unlikely. Also, was it 38 degrees out that night? Yeah, in Jay Livermore.
1: I'll tell you, it'll be even more cold over at Old Orchard. Because
0: Old Orchard Beach is next to the ocean. And for everyone listening that lives near an ocean, you know the ocean at night makes things a lot colder. The sand is freezing. Not to mention the wind coming in from the sea. So... Keep that in mind. Keep that in
1: mind. The fact she had no coat on.
0: And just the fact that Rhonda suggested something like that that just was nonsensical, in our opinion. In our opinion. On August 23rd, 1986, Rhonda admitted to being at Eric Farrington's party. This is the son of the then chief of police of Jay. So Eric Farrington, Mike Smith, and Scott Ridley said that prom night, May 10th, was the night of the party. So, you have three people confirming that May 10th was truly the night of this party. Nobody mixed the dates up. And they all three remember Kim walking into the party with Rhonda. Allegedly, that was the claim from all three of them. So, after Kim's disappearance, Rhonda began distancing herself from Kim and Kim's family going so far as to claim that she barely knew who Kim was and often dodged Kim's family in public. I've heard interviews with Richard Morrow, Kim's father, staying times where he's run into her in the grocery store and she ended up leaving her cart and leaving the store when he approached her or confronted her, I should say. After she graduated high school, Rhonda left the state so she first moved to Florida and then to California. While in California, and this was 2009, over 20 years later, she was killed in a hit-and-run accident that is still unsolved to this day. People widely believe that Rhonda could have solved the case immediately should she have chosen to speak up.
1: So the next person we're going to review here is Brian Edmond. So he is the friend of Rhonda Breton's boyfriend's and the person that is believed to be the last person to see Kim alive on the morning of May 11th, 1986. So, Brian claims that after dropping Rhonda Brenton off at home, he drove Kim to a location known as a hangout spot for local teens. He claims the two of them engaged in consensual sex.
0: Now, allegedly, I've heard some people say that he didn't mention the consensual sex part until two years after the fact.
1: So, this is where it gets a little weird. He said he dropped her off down by the park in Livermore Falls. Now, I don't know what park they're talking about. There's a couple of places that could be this park. Now, behind the police station, there is a park where they have the Apple Pumpkin Festival. There's also now a skate park down in that area. In addition, kind of kitty corner to the Chuck Wagon, which is a wonderful restaurant downtown, there is a gazebo in another small park. And then kind of kitty corner to that a little bit where the Cumberland Farms is, there's yet another smaller park with monuments. So I don't know for certain which park they're talking about, but this is all kind of in the general half-mile radius. He also said that he had dropped her off by the police station, police station being directly across the street from the chuck wagon. And he had also said he had dropped her off near the monument in Chisholm at about 3 a.m., stating that she wanted to walk home to think about her issues with her boyfriend. I don't buy that at all. So this fact has been widely disputed by her friends and her family due to the fact that Kim was very afraid of the dark. It has been stated in some of the interviews that even to walk across the streets or next door to her grandparents' house at night, they had to turn the lights on for her and then she'd run right across. So she was definitely afraid of the dark. Also note here that it was very cold that evening. It was about 38 degrees and she didn't have her coat. And this was a considerable distance to walk. Now, this monument in Chisholm, it is at the bottom of Jewel Street, which is a pretty steep hill. And her home is at the other end of Jewel Street across from the VFW. I know personally, I would not want to walk at three in the morning up a huge hill like that.
0: So if you just think logically, a logical reasonable person probably wouldn't want to walk that. Now, added to the fact that Kim is very afraid of the dark, this is known between her friends and family, I feel it's impossible that Kim would have wanted to do something or suggested to do something no, like this. No, not at all.
1: It's a ridiculous theory. So Enman is from the neighboring town of Canton. He still actually lives there, um, as we reviewed, and his property was searched in 2015.
0: Darren Jodry is a 25-year-old boyfriend of Rhonda Breton at the time, and he was the owner of the white Pontiac Trans Am. Jodry was allegedly dropped off at 10 p.m. on May 10, 1986, at the Rumford Mill, where he worked until 6 a.m. the following morning. Now, it's been alleged that oftentimes mill workers at that mill would fraudulently punch one another's time cards. So, possibility. Jodri claimed to not know who Kim was when confronted by Kim's sister, and according to Richard Moreau, failed the lie detector test. Apparently, him and Brian Edmond both did. The Trans Am was allegedly, this is also according to Richard, sold to a sergeant or a lieutenant of the Rumford Police Department, and it took 17 years to process his car in evidence because the state of Maine claimed they couldn't track it down. So due to this egregious delay, all evidence was lost. Jodri was also arrested in 2013 for cocaine trafficking in Mexico, Maine. I saw a comment where somebody said that he is no longer alive. However, that was the only comment I saw, and I couldn't find an obituary or any other thing stating that he is dead. Maybe he's in
1: jail. We didn't check the police records of inmates.
0: If anyone would like to comment or let us know.
1: What's going on with this guy? Yeah,
0: if he is or is not, I would like to confirm this.
1: So just to kind of give you a reference point, Mexico, Maine is the neighboring town to Rumford. They're both mill towns. They kind of run into one another. Our next person, Mike Staples. So some people on social media have made accusations against Mike. And Richard claims that he talked to Mike for 10 hours one day and has said that he doesn't know anything. Allegedly, he never called the house wanting to know where Kim was or what was going on, which if you're someone's significant other, that's really suspect. Yeah,
0: that was concerning. I mean, I don't know if they broke up that day when Kim caught Mike with one of her friends. But even still, you would... You
1: still check.
0: Yeah, you would think that if you heard that your ex went missing, assuming they broke up, you'd still want to know, right? I always found that weird, too. It's just definitely
1: the decent thing to do. Yeah,
0: I found that weird, too. According to Kim's sister, they asked Staples for Kim's class ring, and he said he lost it with a big grin. So allegedly... He had ended up selling it to Calvin Tidswell for a $10 bottle of alcohol. That's the rumor, which now.
1: We're getting to Calvin. (laughs) We'll get into Tech
0: Calvin Tidswell. I have
1: issues with this guy. Huge issues. So Calvin was an ex-con and drug dealer that owns an arcade in downtown Livermore Falls, kind of by the police station. It's no
0: longer operating. It is no longer
1: there. So he was allegedly known to befriend and furnish drugs and alcohol to teenagers, despite being well into his 40s. So he's kind of a scumbag. And I'm going to say that without any allegedly. This guy sucks. He is reported to have stolen a car and gotten into an accident that killed his friends.
0: Which was a 16-year-old girl. Which was a 16-year-old girl. And she did die.
1: So for this, he served two years in prison in 1978. So in 1978, he would have been in his 30s. Why are you hanging out with a 16-year-old girl? He was also arrested for assaulting an officer in 1986 and was sent back to prison for two additional years after the officer was trying to break up a pit party. So in 1988, when he was released, he began selling cocaine and was busted for selling to an undercover police officer in 1989.
0: I couldn't find out exactly when he was released from prison after the cocaine arrest in 1989, Mm -hmm. though there was a Sun Journal article covering the fact that he could not find work, and it showed him in a very sympathetic light. I could not find the date of this article, so... And, like,
1: why is everyone caring about this guy? This guy sucks. Why is the Sun Journal caring? Uh, This I don't understand. So anyway, Richard believes that Calvin was involved in some secondary way, possibly helping Enman dispose of Kim's remains, and this I do believe... Calvin Tidswell had Kim's class ring that he had kept in a can in a cupboard in his mother's house. This has since been recovered and is now in the family's possession. Thank goodness. I believe
0: what happened is he was in prison at the time and told the police where to find the ring and they went and retrieved it.
1: Yes. So Richard claims Calvin told him once that once the case is solved, he'll help fill in the details.
0: Something like that. Yes. Roughly, he'll fill in the details.
1: And it has been alleged that Calvin was also at the Farrington House party. Again, why is a man in his 40s partying with teenagers? And allegedly, we saw one account of this in the Facebook group that he was last seen dragging Kim from the house. And Calvin is still in Maine and has relocated to the Poland-New Gloucester area. Now, there is something that I want to speak on here. So we had mentioned previously the house on Route 4 in Livermore, where the concrete slab had been torn up last year to see if Kim's remains were underneath it. Now, I can say this without any lease. Calvin has a public Facebook page And all of this is here. Now, if you go to Calvin Tidswell's Facebook page, there are pictures that he has public. And one of them is the yellow house that his family used to own. And this picture was posted in 2017. And it is of the house and the farm stand. Now, why is he posting this? This has no context. And he had this as his profile or cover photo, rather, on Facebook. I think this guy is a jerk. I think he is trolling and trying to cause hate and discontent. I can say this. I took screenshots of it, and they will be available to view on the YouTube video, or you can just go to his Facebook page.
0: And if you don't understand exactly what's the significance of this, so let me stress something to you. Yes, the concrete slab under where this farm stand was was dug up last year. Why was that so important? Well, the day after Kim went missing this concrete slab was filled in and ever since then there was a long-standing rumor that that's where kim's remains was dumped and the slab was placed over so for decades now the family has been wanting that to be searched and they hadn't been able to until very recently. So for him to post that on his Facebook page in 2017, while everyone's talking and swearing, that's where she probably is. I know if I was the family, that would be incredibly infuriating, infuriating being an understatement. So if we did not make that clear earlier, the significance of that, that's why.
1: I don't know. This man is disgusting and he used to be put away. So, in addition to this, there is a long-standing rumor that at this farmhouse back in the '80s, Calvin's family had pigs, and it is rumored that possibly Kim's remains were given to the pigs. Now, I don't know. This is this part is completely alleged. Yeah, I there's, don't. There's no proof of there's this. There's no this proof is, of this. Is
0: just what people throw out there. And if you go to that Facebook group, you'll see there's a lot of people cursing Calvin Tidswell and throwing out a lot of theories about him. Just to protect us legally, we don't have hard proof of this. We are just discussing theories.
1: And I don't know, I felt a little uncomfortable talking about this one. Yeah, I do do
0: too, because it feels feels crass, but it is a theory I see being brought up.
1: So one of the final theories that we want to talk about, and, and mind you, there are so many theories on this. A theory that was brought forth, it was not really a theory, but a tip, that a dying man wants to talk to Richard about what is going on. So to this date, I haven't found any more information about that. Or, I'm... or has talked
0: to or Richard. Or has talked to Richard. So within the past year, I saw some interview with Richard Morrow where he mentioned that he didn't want to give away a lot of details, but they had a really solid lead and mentioned that they spoke with a dying man. They're not giving any details as as completely understandable why they wouldn't give details at this point will this be a lead that leads to being able to bring kim home i i sure hope so
1: i really really do because like i said in the intro the family has been through enough
0: i mean i've heard them mention they don't even care about a criminal case they just want to bring kim home and after this long of searching you know i want nothing more than them to have that closure to have this solved, to have Kim brought home finally and laid to rest. It's so completely sad. You know, this is Maine's most notorious missing persons case. I really hope that the fact that this is talked about so frequently and that we we definitely want to do our part to signal boost it. That's why we did this episode and we want to see it solved. But I will say it's probably the most signal boosted case from Maine.
1: I'd say so. Aside from Ayla Reynolds...
0: Yeah. I'd say
1: maybe this one a little bit more. Just a lot of people have a lot invested in it. For they sure. really really do a lot emotionally invested in it. I mean, I grew up in Lisbon, which is another mill town to the south, but I've spent quite a bit of time in the jay livermore area through playing sports through friends to friends that are like family to me i've spent so much time in the area and seeing kim's picture is something that it's just kind of haunted me like i want this solved
0: cuz if you drive through there and if you're from the area and you haven't been down there don't take my word for it just drive through there you will see kim's picture on posters all around jay and livermore it's been that way it's been that way for decades And I feel like a lot of people, you know, really can't help but identify with the family, you know, a working class family that has never given up and has worked so tirelessly to make up for, in my opinion, a horrible job done by the police
1: when we were talking to Marky about this earlier he even stated the police in the area were way over their heads they still for this case I believe are way over their heads
0: even with the state police involved we don't necessarily have the best track record of solving missing persons cases we really don't nor do I feel like we even handle murder cases properly. That's not something I want to go too deep into, but as you may have heard us mention before, Maine has a history of, in my opinion, and I think Yergi's too, getting some of these cases wrong just to get them closed.
1: Yes, we've covered one particular case before where that has happened. We feel very strongly about it, and there was another case that we'll cover in the future that Druby and I have some direct connection to due to our workplace, where they got it horribly wrong.
0: Yes. So whenever I hear about something like this in, in Maine, it's hard to not feel like the odds are stacked against you. And with any missing persons case, it really matters how quickly the police act. Can you imagine if the family didn't push for as hard as they did? I'm sure that there are other people who have had a friend or family member go missing and they felt so helpless and they they just felt like they couldn't put in the type of effort that Kim's family did. And you'll never hear about this person. Michelle Jakaitis is one of those people. We can't find anything about her.
1: I seriously commend them for the effort that they have put in from the time she went missing to now. This was a time pre-internet. Now things are a little bit more simpler. You can definitely signal boost things with groups, with different forms of social media you know as you know back in the 80s that wasn't a thing all you could do was flyer and then pressure people and run to the papers that's all you could do and you know these folks richard and diane and karen they have well put their work in tirelessly, tirelessly.
0: Um, one thing that i should mention that richard did is he was working at the verso paper mill at the time which is a paper mill in jay i'm
1: not sure it was the verso one because there were two mills in jay so richard if you are listening definitely correct us uh, yeah there was... yeah i, I
0: thought he said verso i could be wrong so
1: the verso mill is the one more towards north j which recently unfortunately exploded yes there wasn't a very dangerous explosion recently yes
0: this was in april of this year i believe but
1: there was previously a mill and there's I I don't want to say ruins, but there's a partial mill still in the Chisholm area, which is more towards Livermore Falls. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure which he worked at. I'm going to kind of go maybe with the one that was closer to home, but I am not sure. But continue. I'm sorry.
0: No, that's fine. So one thing that he said he used to do is every shipment of paper that they would send out, he would include a missing poster for Kim.
1: That's smart. That's awesome. And
0: so because of that, Kim's missing poster is gone all over the world. He said, Europe, Japan, China, South America, it is literally gone everywhere that they ship paper has included at least one missing poster of Kim Moreau and I thought that was really, really awesome. This man has never given up. The family has never given up and I just want them to be at peace. I just want to see this solved. So I guess we'll just kind of close with this. I'm not even really going to plug us this episode. It's not appropriate. Yeah, this is more so about us wanting to finally see this case get solved, you know, in our home state in a place, like, I grew up not far from this place. So if you know anything, and I mean anything, even a small amount, just one little tidbit that you think is meaningless, you never know what that will do to add to existing information that has not yet been released. Please, please, please either contact the family directly or contact the main State Police. There is many different avenues to do this. Just please, I want to see this solved all our social media or ways to get in contact with us are in the description on youtube or in the show notes if you're listening on platforms again if you want to reach out to us instagram probably the best way to do it or you can email us at misery machine at gmail.com but With that,
1: we love you so much, everyone. We
0: we love you. If you've gone this far, thank you for listening to this. as As a main case, this is this is very close to our hearts. If we urge you, if
1: you can, to please share the episode.
0: Yes, please share this episode. It's not about us. This is about a signal boost. Get
1: this out there. We do not want this case to fall by the wayside. It needs to be out there all the time until she gets to come home.
0: Absolutely okay well until next week we
1: love you very much
0: we love you guys all right all right bye bye